Welcome to the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Will Cheshire. And in this podcast, I speak with impact-driven founders and share their real-time stories about how their solution has a positive impact on society. This is a show for founders, investors, and all individuals looking for some positivity and optimism as you hear from people working hard to help better our society and our planet. You can expect to learn about some awesome new products and services in this show that will bring you more hope in our quest to solve some of society's biggest issues. Let's dive in to this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. This week, we're discussing positive financial habits with the founder of Monkey, Martin Granick. Monkey is based in Europe and is a financial platform with a mission to help millions of people to achieve their goals without building up debt. They use the slogan, save now and buy later, as their platform incentivizes users to save their money to make purchases and get rewarded for it. They utilize their rich network of partners to encourage users to make purchases with them and in return be benefited for it with a percentage of their purchases being put back into their savings account on the platform. This is an episode that I've been really excited to share with you all as I think financial education in building healthy financial habits is an essential part in educating individuals into making responsible buying decisions. We live in a consumption-oriented society and sometimes we're pushed to make financially irresponsible decisions because of the societal pressures that we face or aggressive marketing tactics. At least in the US, I know that we could certainly be doing a better job at financial literacy and education. This episode will help you do just that as we focus on Monkey Solution to help people save now and buy later with rewards along the way. So let's dive in to this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast with Monkey founder, Martin Granning. Martin, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, how are you today? Thanks for having me. Hey, Martin, please do us the honor. Explain a little bit about Monkey Does, why it's such a great, great solution for people that are trying to, to save money. And then, of course, I'd love to hear a background about yourself and, and what kind of brought you to start Monkey and, and came uh, across for your journey to get here. Yeah, I mean, the, the basic idea behind Monkey is quite simple. So we help our users to save money for what is important to them. And we see ourselves a little bit like the, the answer or the antithesis to consumer credit and buy now, pay later. So what problem do we solve? The problems for two different stakeholders. So there's on the one hand side, the users, they usually they have goals, they have dreams, they want to go on vacation, they want to buy a new bike or phone. And um, yeah, we are using personal finance, gamification, behavioral design to help them save up for what's important to them. We have different kinds of saving challenges, saving rules. We nudge them to save a little bit in between here and there. And um, on the other hand side, we have retailers who um, at the moment have the challenge that discretionary spending really dropped a lot since uh, since COVID. Um, it's very expensive for them to get to know new customers. And in our app, we know which people are saving for a vacation, which people are saving for a bike, and we connect both sites and we call it the future boost. So whenever our users, they buy the things that they need at one of our partners, they are getting money back as a contribution to their other savings goals. So while buying the things they need at our partners, they let their savings grow. And our retail partners, they get a new customer, a more loyal customer, and our creating positive touch points because at the end they helped 
their community to reach their goals faster. Absolutely. Win-win for everybody involved, right, Martin? Yeah, yeah we hope so. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And and tell me a little bit about your background. You know, what's been your history in the past and what's kind of brought you to this point to, to you know, be in the position where you're a co-founder of, of Monkey and, and creating such a great solution for this problem? Previously to Monkey, I've been working for 15 years in the, uh, in the corporate world. So at a company called Roski, they're in the consumer goods industry. I've been in several different senior management positions there from product management to marketing. And my last step in the corporate world was being responsible for the global innovations department. And there I've been working for one of the owners of the company on some more explorative projects in the area of activity trackers, emotions trackers. So all projects where it was about capturing data, using data to help people improve their habits living a healthier life. And this is where I had the chance to go quite deep, quite deep into the topic of gamification, nudging, behavioral design, and so on. And I always had a personal passion for finance. So I'm a frugalist myself. So um, when I consume, I think twice, that's, if it makes sense. Um, and um, when, when, I, when my first, when my daughter um, was born, for the first time in my life, I took three months off. I was on paternity leave together with my wife and my daughter. We were going to Australia and New Zealand. And there for the first time, I had the chance to also think a little bit about uh, my, my future, what time of kind of what, which type of father I want to be for my kid. Um, and there I created this, this deep um, passion for doing something which has a, a deeper purpose in the future. And yeah, when I came back, I think half a year later, together with a friend, we both quit our jobs and started working on the project that we now call Monkey. Ooh, well, congratulations on that because you know it takes a, a bit of a you know a risk and a bold move to you know quit that security, especially after just having a kid and, and going after it on your own. So fantastic because I think that that's such a a great thing to think about that deeper purpose that you were talking about on that front as well. And and Martin, I know that you and I had a conversation prior to this, and and one of those things that we talked about was a little bit about the different mindsets. Obviously, you're based over in Europe, and you know your app was a little bit different, and that it was more about savings versus over here in, in the U.S. We do a lot of things that are more related to investing and stuff like that versus kind of savings and things. And I just wanted to kind of get your perspective of what you've seen as a professional in the in the markets and whatnot of what kind of the difference in thinkings are between people kind of in, in the US or, or uh, versus in Europe and whatnot when it comes to kind of finances and things of that nature. I think compared to the US, Europe, but especially the German speaking countries, they are much more risk averse when it comes to investment products. So in the first step, the the vision behind Monkey was really going into micro investments and helping a broader market to invest in small increments into investment products. And after we did our user research, we realized that there is such a huge entry barrier when it comes to investment products um, that we moved back one step and really wanted to start with savings in the first step. And the reason why there kind of people here are more risk averse definitely has a lot to do also with our, I would say, social security system. So um, compared to US where you need to kind of, you need to organize your retirement and everything by yourself, here is still this big belief that government is taking care for your retirement in the future, which in some sense is true. So you are getting some money from government, but as there is 
less and less people paying the retirement money for more and more <laughs> people. Um, this equation doesn't work out as it used to work in the past. So people need to take care more about their retirement. And um, yeah, I think uh, over the last five years, people who are investing their money, it's increased from 10 to around 15%. I think during COVID, we saw a quite big spike, especially the younger people testing apps like um, Trade Republic, I think in the US it's it's Robin Hood and so on. Uh, I think a lot of people lost money there because they, it was more like gaming for them. But I hope that some people who lost their money now also start reading a little bit more about um, how, how to do that and um, and are doing it now more more in a more sustainable way. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting point about the social security. I mean, I know it's a big topic here and this is definitely for another uh, podcast episode, but, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you think about the amount of people that are the spike in the aging population and how much more that's going to grow and be a higher percentage of the population versus the younger, just because, you know, we're having less kids and all that. And then the taxes and the working, like, is it going to keep up social security? So the individual aspect of it, I think is is going to be important and interesting to, to kind of look at in the coming decades. But again, for another episode uh, within that, Martin, though, as well, like we you talked about kind of in that the differences in mindset you mentioned earlier about kind of being the antithesis um, to that buy now, pay later and whatnot. And just tell us a little bit about why that can be a bit of a dangerous model for people um, for their financial goals. If they're too dependent on credit and just buying now and paying later when they don't have uh, yeah. those funds immediately. There are some use cases in this buy now, pay later area, which make a lot of sense, especially when it comes to emergencies, health emergencies, whatever, where you really don't have the money so that you you can still take care of that and then pay the installments later. But especially over the last two years, um, buy now, pay later got so popular that people started buying everything um, without having the money for that. So uh, from their vacation to their TV, and you can even now buy groceries and pay them in two or three weeks in different installments, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. And there is there is studies which clearly shows that um, buy now, pay later, it triggers unsustainable consumption because it is it is so easy to just consume something where you don't have the money and. Many consumers, they don't even realize that at the end, what they are using there, that is consumer credit. Um, because it doesn't sound this way. There is this, in Austria or in German-speaking countries, there is this nice pink Klarna button and you buy just two clicks and um, you're now in a consumer credit. And some people, they can run into challenges later when they have to finance their, their apartment or whatever that by... Often using buy now, pay later, that which this could have a negative impact on their credit scores, and they could run into serious problems later. All the way that they don't get a mobile operator contract or whatever because um, they they forgot to pay an installment. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, it's kind of like when the invention of the credit card came out. You know, people used to have to use like their envelopes and separate caches. Like this is for groceries, this is for X, and you know we have to go to the store. It's easier to track your money, and then the credit card came out or even the debit card and it was an easy just swipe just boom swipe 
swipe, swipe. But next thing you know, you're spending more money than you even realized you had. And uh, it, it can be dangerous, of course, obviously some use cases, uh, as you mentioned before, but definitely an interesting kind of model on that front and, and kind of building off of that question and um, whatnot too with it. What are some kind of common mistakes that you see that people kind of make within their savings practices, right? Obviously, your platform empowers people to save and, and encourages people to save responsibly. But what are some common mistakes that you see consumers kind of make on a regular basis with uh, their thought process around saving? Yeah, I mean, first of all, waiting too long, so kind of procrastinate, right? Um, because, I mean, when it comes to managing your money, yes, there is some financial education aspect to that, but it has a lot to do with habits and behavior. And like all, everything that has to do with habits, doesn't matter if it is your diet or sports or whatever you need to start at one point and and start kind of introducing those more healthier habits into your daily lives and um and um and, and another problem that very often happens is that people kind of people they they live their month and then they they save whatever um is left at the end of the month um, which very often there, there is nothing left. And um, what would be better is kind of turning this equation around and really um, have an overview on your budget. So what's, what's your income situation? Uh, where is your money going? Um, go a little bit into really where is your money going? Is there any, any um, options or any potential to reduce costs, to renegotiate certain contracts, whatever? And then define how much you can save and then really start saving at the beginning of the month and then uh, adapt your spending based on the finances that are left and, and not kind of save what's left at the end of the month. Yeah, exactly. Exactly on that front too. And, and Martin, and that's why I think your solution is such a great solution because it kind of really empowers people to, to kind of do that and stuff as well. You mentioned kind of habits and behavior and whatnot as well. And obviously, I think that comes from education and understanding what those habits are, what is a good financial behavior, right? What are good habits financially as well? And that's kind of where I think your solution comes into play with Monkey as well, because not only like you described earlier about how you guys help people save uh, for goals and things of that nature for purchases, you partners and everything as well. But you also, at least according to your website, from what I've seen and everything, you have quite a robust training center uh, to really kind of empower these people to learn about savings uh, as well and whatnot. So why is it that financial education and learning how to properly save and, and manage your money is, is such an important aspect of your business to really kind of help these consumers learn as much as they are using your platform as well? It's time for a quick break as I break down my book recommendation for this week's episode. This week, I think it's appropriate to recommend The Millionaire Next Door, The Surprising Secrets of America's Wealthy by Thomas Stanley and William Denko. This was one of the first books I read when I wanted to learn more about wealth building and finances. It's one of the first comprehensive studies done observing the habits of millionaires in the US, and there were lots of surprising findings that people may still find surprising to this day. Living below your means is a common theme throughout the book and the importance of not falling into the consumerism trap that society consistently pushes in front of you. I recommend this book to all of those interested in finances and wealth building, as there are lots of fantastic tips, surprising statistics, and trends to study throughout this book. Now, let's jump back into this week's episode with Martin Granig of Monkey. I mean, we, we very often compare what we are doing to, I don't know, apps that helps you to to run more or to, to kind of do more sports. Um, at the end, 
you, you can only help people who start with a certain individual reflection. And in order to reflect, you also need to understand the topic. Uh, and, and that's why it is so important for us to also, besides the app, we are creating such a lot of content in the area of financial literacy, checklists, uh, budget lists, Excel spreadsheets, where they can do some interest rates, calculations, whatever. And in, in order to really help them um, to manage the different aspects that are not covered within our app and all the way to helping parents um, how to communicate about money with their kids because at the end um, studies show that very kind of our behavior and what we think about money is money something good or something bad that's already formed in the age between four to six years and this is what kids learn from their parents so if the parents have a bad attitude towards money and uh, then the kids will learn that and they will also have a bad attitude towards money which will impact their lives then later and that's why for example we developed also a, a book for parents which they can use with their kids to start having subtle conversations about the broader topic of money of course you need, it needs to be um it, it's not about taxes or whatever it's really more about very basic basic things like you kind of money needs to be earned you shouldn't spend more money than you have and so on so um yeah to enable empower people to talk more openly talk about money because that's that's really an issue i mean I, I know that in the us you are a little bit more open when it comes to talking about money for germans that's a total no-go i mean you you are not talking about money at all and uh which is which is an issue yeah i couldn't agree more i think it's a big issue and it's something that we've kind of seen within the last couple of decades you know really within kind of my generation as well because you know i remember growing up talking with my dad you know i had no idea what their finances were none at all you know i, I still to this day have no idea how much my dad made or anything like that you know and uh, he just wouldn't talk about it with coworkers or anything like that you've certainly in the u.s today we've seen quite a drastic change with you know my generation into the workforce uh, kind of those millennials especially more so gen z's as they enter the workforce we're seeing everybody be super transparent. And of course, that's exposing a lot of, um, you know, again, another topic or another conversation to have, but a lot of discrepancies amongst pay and, and individuals as well. But being able to talk about that and, and show it is such a valuable asset to learning financial education as well, which I think is, is, a, is a great way that you're kind of empowering people to do that on that front too. So, you know, Martin, take us through the app a little bit. You, you told us how it helps with the saving goals. If you make a purchase with one of the partners and you get an X percentage back a little bit, but if I'm a user and, and I'm just signing up, you know, what can I expect on the app in terms of kind of seeing the flow and, and getting started with it to really use it and, and getting those encouragements, like you mentioned, to, to the sport type apps? Yeah, sure. I mean, the vision behind the app is helping millions of people reach achieve their goals and dreams without having to build up debt. So that's why the whole app is built around goals and dreams. So people start by setting up their different goals. And here, Monkey also already start nudging our users to goals that might make sense for them. Um, so besides, let's say, goals like vacation or whatever, uh, we nudge our users also to set up goals, for example, like kind of emergency rainy day funds or um, now at this time where energy costs are increasing, some special funds for uh, energy bills that might be larger than in the past. And we're not doing it in the way that kind of we say you should do, but we always use a little bit um 
kind of so, this social proof element, peer comparison to say other people who are similar like you, they are saving for this and that because that's a really powerful anchor. And then you're connecting your existing bank account with Monkey. Um, in the background, when you're registering Monkey, we are opening a bank account at our partner bank. And then you can start saving with just two clicks or you can set your saving goals on autopilot. Then there is this, this automatic uh, money transfer. We have a lot of saving challenges and saving rules. So for example, you can set up rules like our mobility rules. So every time when you're fueling your car, 10% of the money that you spend are getting saved or every time when you're eating out at the restaurant or a bar, 10% getting saved or whatever. And then we're using nudges, which in our case are push notifications. Hey, Will, what about saving 12 euros for your vacation? And you just press yes, and then you're saving those 12 euros. And in the background, our algorithm starts learning when and how we need to send you those nudges in order to have a higher chance of getting a saving contribution. And this is how we get our users to save a few euros here and there in between. And at the end of the month, they were saving quite significant amount of money without even realizing that. So those are certain mechanisms that also marketing is using when you're shopping, you're spending three euros here, you're spending three euros there, all small numbers, but at the end, you spend quite a lot of money there. And we're turning that around and are using those mechanisms in our app to nudge people into save more for what is important to them than spending it on buying stuff. And then there's, as I already mentioned, there's this future boost. So whenever you buy the things that you need at one of our partners, you are getting contributions to your saving goals. And we have two different type of partners. So there's the one cluster of partners, which is in the area of the saving goals. So like vacations or travel agencies, uh, electronic shops, uh, where you can buy sports equipment, where you can buy cars. And when you're saving money, let's say for a vacation, we let you know that, hey, congratulations, you're soon to reach your goal. Book your vacation at one of those partners and get 10% back for your rainy day fund, for example. And then we have partners in an area which we call daily necessities. So those are categories where you, at the end, have to spend money, buying groceries, buying um, pharmacy products, books, clothes, and whenever you're yeah, buying books at one of our partners, you're getting money for your vacation or again for your rainy day fund. And in the meantime, we are having more than 400 partners where our users can get those boosts or where they can boost their saving goals. 400. Wow. Very good on that front as well. And, and if I'm a user and whatnot, does it, are there paid tiers? Is it a free account to use? Are there paid subscription models or, or how does that kind of work to, to sign up or is it just free for me to use? Yeah, so the app is free for all users. So we are not we are not monetizing the users. We are monetizing via those future boosts. So technically, when then you when you are booking your vacation at one of our partners, we are getting a commission for that, and a part of this commission we are paying back as a contribution to our users. What I really love about your solution too is the rainy. You know, number one, understanding a rainy day fund, and and I'd like to ask you about that in a minute. But number two as well, providing like an avenue where you can actually tangibly save for your goals, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but throughout my time growing up and things of that nature, you know, you, you remember each house has like a, you know, a little vase or something where you put your extra cash in there. I mean, that's more so when I was a kid nowadays, it's a little different. Nobody really has cash, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, you put your cash in there, it'd be like vacation fund, 
right? Or then, you know, they, they, even with banks, you know, they would do, here's some cash back if you use a credit card, but it just kind of goes directly to pay off your credit or for travel or whatever. But what you're doing is, is in Monkey is doing is giving specific goals, which I think like you just had mentioned in that use case really empowers people to see the progress and the benefits of saving when they put, you know, 8% of their purchase here. And it tends, turns out at the end of the month, you have 50, 100 euros towards your goal, which is, I think, really significant. And, and I would imagine the feedback you've been getting is, is probably pretty powerful. Yeah. And I mean, we were playing a lot also with, in German, we say Vorfreude, so anticipation. So but you're, you're saving money. So you're saving money for your vacation and you're getting this digital high five for reaching your goal and getting 10 euros closer to your vacation. And you're looking forward to that. And what we also very often see is that people, they start saving for something because they think they need it. And um, and then at the end, they don't really need it. And then they just transfer their money to the rainy day fund uh, and increase their buffer, which is also something um, from a, when it comes to personal finance or money management point of view that if you want to buy something, maybe it makes sense to wait for 24, 48 hours and then really see if it's, if you still want it, want to have it, because very often in this moment, you think you want to have something, but 48 hours later, you realize that ah, it's not that important. And you save a lot of money by waiting, giving yourself a little bit time to, yeah, to wait. Oh boy, do, do you? I mean, there's been times where, you know, you spend something, you're like, ah, why did I buy that? I don't need to buy that. Come on now. And that's why the credit card is dangerous, right? Online purchasing and stuff like that is is a powerful tool. So you, you give that 24, 48 hours and you can figure out if you really need it or not as well. Something interesting, there's studies which show that whenever you're you're spending cash, there are regions in your brain which are stimulated, which are responsible for for pain. So that's why we you're talking about kind of the pain of pain. But whenever you buy something online or using the credit card or whatever, it doesn't stimulate those regions. So that's why you are it's it's easier for you to spend money digitally or with credit card, and you're spending more money than if you would than you would if you would just pay pa- pay cash. I know it, that's crazy. It really is crazy how that works, even just within your brain and how it recognizes it as well. Which you know again is why I was so intrigued by your solution because I, I think in the U.S. and it sounds like in Europe as well. You know, financial education is something I think kind of gets neglected as kids grow up. They don't get as much attention as it should uh, versus like learning the you know math or algebra or whatever. And I think it's just so important because, like you mentioned, to know that. And to understand that in the in the savings and those principles are going to really benefit society and individuals in a big way, especially as they grow older and retire and whatnot, too, um, with those good habits. And with that as well, we've mentioned Rainy Day Fund a few times. I just wanted to find that for people as well, which I know is kind of bad because it can be anything emergency fund. But I'd love for you to just kind of explain a little bit what kind of a, a Rainy Day Fund is or emergency fund and, and kind of that purpose. I mean, the, the Rainy Day Fund at the end, it's really your, your safety net for emergency, for really severe emergencies like a job loss or a major home repairs or a medic medical emergencies, and there is kind of this rule of thumb that your rainy fund should be something in the area of three to six months of expenses. So um, if you are single and maybe three months are enough, but if you are a family, you might have a rainy day fund of six months of expenses of the value of expenses per month. And this money should be put on a separate account and it needs to be um, available every time. So you should you should in, 
intentionally not invest this money in investment products where it can there can be the situation where you lost I don't know, um, 20%, 30%, and you're forced to sell your stocks at a loss. So that's why um, an app like Money, Monkey makes a lot of sense because you have it in a separate account. Uh, you can pay back with just one click and we help you to, to build that up. And how do you kind of, how do you come to this rainy day fund? Um, so first of all, I mean, like, like everything at money management, it starts a little bit with your, with your budget. So, Knowing your income situation, knowing where your money is going, um, if there are any opportunities to cut on spending. And um, the another rule of thumb is that you should put 10 to 20% of your income away every month into your rainy day fund until this is filled and then you can start investing kind of for your retirement, for example. But it's really important to start with your rainy day fund first because that's at the end your safety net. And contrary to kind of or beside rainy day funds, there's something which we call sinking funds, which is then more for for more planned expenses like your vacation or car repairs or pet fund or for school trips where you know that there are certain expenses coming in the future. Um, it's not really an emergency, but you can start now putting away some money so that then when you have to pay the money, it's not putting you into a, a difficult situation. And those are two categories of, of funds which our users are using a lot. So besides this, these needs, which is then the rainy day fund and the sinking funds, then there come those ones like bigger vacations or a bag or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think the biggest thing, too, when it comes to a rainy day fund or a sinking fund is the impact it has on like your mental health, anxiety and stress. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. think about that. I mean, I know for me personally, when I built mine up, knowing now, especially as someone who's self-employed, knowing now that I have this money that's put away just in case you know, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, shit hits the fan and, yeah. uh, you know, I can cover it like stress, stress wise and anxiety wise. It makes me feel a lot better. So, uh, just throw that out to people there too. When they're, when they're thinking about, you know, the importance of it at rainy day fund and that sinking fund and just knowing that you have those, those, that money available. Uh, so you're not freaking out about it and having to put it on the credit card too, is really valuable. Yeah, it gives you a lot of peace of mind. And we must not forget that money worries are the number one factor for stress, even before health, relationships, your work. So there's nothing which puts you more under stress than not knowing kind of how to pay your bills at the end of the month. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so important. And, and again, another reason why Monkey stood out to me so much, you know, even though it's across the pond and, and I can't quite use it at this moment, but um, definitely, uh, definitely something that I think is so valuable when you think about kind of money and whatnot. I would love to hear a little bit about the partnerships. I know you've talked about it uh, about 400, a little bit over, you know, what, what kind of um, take us through the kind of that process when you're kind of trying to onboard them as well. I mean, I know that their biggest benefit will definitely be getting, you know, access and view to new potential customers or clients or things of that nature as well. So what's kind of been the, the process there and, and what type of feedback have you been getting from uh, your partners that kind of really enable this app to go and, and empower those users to save and, and you know make those fun purchases as well? We're going to take another quick pause to talk about some financial literacy statistics and education stats in the U.S. As again, I think that financial literacy and education specifically for our youth are one of the most important things that we can be teaching them. So let's get started. 27 states scored a CD or F 
for high school financial literacy. In 2017, a national report card highlighted a discrepancy in the way that states have handled their high school financial literacy across the country. 27 states, again, received that subpar effort. And in 2020, a survey of the states did show a little bit of hope, but we still got a long ways to go. 45 states now include personal finance education in their K through 12 standards, but 26 states in DC do not require a high school personal finance course to be offered, while 29 states in Washington, D.C. do not require the high school course to be taken. And all of this is coming from that four and five youths have failed a financial literacy quiz. And then as you move that into adult life, 78% of adults are living paycheck to a paycheck, according to a career builder survey. And three in five adults do not keep a budget. Two in three adults' families in the U.S. lack an emergency fund, according to analysis from J.P. Morgan Chase. And an emergency fund, of course, for those that don't know, is a savings account that you can use in case of emergencies. People recommend having about three to six months of living expenses covered there. And 53% of adults have reported that they are feeling financially anxious, while four in five adults are experiencing barriers to home ownership now. And lastly, fewer than one in five adults is confident in their savings. As you can see, the data does not lie as people in America. We are struggling with financial literacy. And although we are slowly making progress, we still have a long way to go. And that is another reason why I'm so thrilled to share Martin's solution with Monkey and the way that they are encouraging good financial habits for people over in Europe and eventually in the US. It's a fantastic model and it's something I'm continuing to look forward sharing with you as we dive back into this week's episode of the Talking Solutions podcast. I mean, we're working with um, a large amount of different partners. So on the one hand side to really offer our services we're using with banking partners. So we are not a bank ourselves. But in order to be regulated and in order to protect all the funds and everything, we're working with banking partners in the background who are taking care of all the payment transactions, about uh, protecting the money, about things like anti-money laundry and, and those things which need to be done um, on this hand side. On the other hand side, yeah, you mentioned the different Future Boost partners um, from, from Booking.com all the way to um, Fressnap, Media Markt, which are kind of huge brands in the German-speaking countries when it comes to buying electronic products or pet food or whatever. And um, the big, the big advantage that our retail partner sees that um, at, at the end we are we are bringing them customers where there is a really high chance that they need their things because if somebody is already saving money for a vacation, if we connect them with with an online travel agency for example they know that they have the money they really want to book a vacation and there's a really high chance that at the end they're really going to yeah, to convert into a sales which is a big advantage for our retail partners which then lead to um yeah higher commissions for us and a higher future boost then for our for our customers at the end of the day again win-win for everybody right new customer more for the company and then more for the the user at the end of the rainy day fund or i'm sorry at the end of that savings goal to transition to another savings goal and and, and they are creating positive touch points which is also something i mean um there's a lot i mean a lot of companies talk about um, corporate social responsibility but at the end they really need to think about 
advice if it's really socially or socially responsible to stimulate their community to buy things where they don't really have the money. So talking about buy now, pay later, right? And there's now a lot of companies which start changing a little bit their mindset and and going back a little bit when it really comes to pushing this this uh, consumption on uh, kind of based on debt and communicating about monkey in a sense that hey there's this there's our partner use monkey to save money for your next vacation or for your next purchase instead of buying it or financing it with with consumer debt. That's such a fantastic point on that front too. When you talk about the CSR and those corporate social responsibilities that companies have and whatnot, right? Like a lot of times the model is is you know we don't really care. I know that's the big criticism with um, you know companies like Affirm and things of that nature. You know, Affirm's got a little bit different of a model, but nonetheless, um, you know that mindset, you know, money lending, things of that nature. Great business. I mean, you'll make a lot of money if you're on that end of it. But, uh, you know, how much of that from a from a, you know, social responsibility perspective, you know, is positively impacting, you know, consumers in society, and you could argue not so much. So I, I love that point. That's such a that's such a great way to, to kind of frame it on that front as well. You know, Martin, with monkey and, and everything as well, you talked a little bit about kind of how you got there on that front. But tell me a little bit about what you've kind of learned the most as being a founder kind of in that fintech space and whatnot, and, and really kind of learning and going through and, and seeing some of the challenges, understanding the users and what they want and, and things of that nature. Tell me a little bit about some of the, the challenges and the biggest things that you've learned along the way as well. Maybe the biggest challenge is that, I mean, in the startup world, a lot of people talk about MVPs or minim, the minimum viable product or fail and learn fast and everything. But when talking about the product that has to do with finances, um, with the rainy day funds of users, uh, they don't really want to have um, mistake, mistakes and bugs there. So when talking about the MVP, the first prototype, you need to go much, much further when you're talking about a financial service compared to a service where it's about, I don't know, uploading images or whatever, because they, they don't really want to see bugs when, when it's about their money. So that's one thing. Um, Another thing we learned quite fast is prioritizing. So um, kind of not making the product too complex from the very beginning, being able to, so that you're able to still explain it to your users. But if you're already having 20 different features at the time of launch, it's going to be really difficult to explain to users what's it all about and why they should really come and download it because there is hundreds of different, <laughs> thousands of apps and hundreds of different apps in the financial service industry. So that's why it makes sense to really, yeah, at the beginning, focus on a more, maybe on a, on a niche use case and be better than everybody else in this, in this niche. And then start adding services that make sense for your customers based on the feedback of your customers. So there have been quite some things that we developed internally and then put it out and realized users, they're not using it the way that we thought they are going to use that. And then we completely changed our whole process to get the user into the development. So we're using a lot of design sprints where you start and end with the user. So you start with um, interviews with the user with some usability tests, then you're ideating, you're prototyping, and then you end this design sprint again by getting feedback on this new feature, which has just been prototyped based on the feedback of your users. So um, that's also something I think is quite important there. 
Oh, yeah. They love a good product design sprint. You can always get so much value out of that from from the users, really validate those ideas to figure out if that's going to be something intentional that you should build. So I agree 100% on that front. I think it's such a great way to kind of understand your features, your users, what's valuable, what's not, especially when you take them through that user testing. And, uh, you know, Martin, uh, as well, when we're we're talking about that and what you've learned and kind of the challenges and whatnot, which is fantastic, it's brought you to this point, uh, which is a terrific point and obviously fantastic that you're here, but there's always more to do, I'm sure. And I think you got a lot of ideas coming up and I'm sure you and the team have a lot of ideas collaboration wise that you've come up with. So what, what types of things do you have in store for future plans uh, of Monkey, especially as we uh, are into 2023? I mean, one of the very intermediate next steps for us is uh, so this, this future boost, it already works for online purchases. But we still spend quite a lot of money in stationary retail. And in general, we, we are going to launch, we call it the smart money card, which is a debit card where we are scaling this future boost idea into stationary retail. So where when you're buying a bread at the bakery, you can also collect future boost for your rainy day funds, which also enables us to get smaller, more locally relevant, kind of those local heroes into our future boost system. So the bakery around the corner, the small kind of shoe store around the corner so that it can also be part of this future boost system and um, help their community to boost their their uh, their finances. And uh, yeah, at the moment we are available in Germany and Austria. And this is also one of our next steps then from next year on to just start expansion into other countries Really take over the EU, take over the the European continent, and then you got to find your way to work yourself over to the US as well, my friend. <laughs> yeah, of course. For the first step would be the EU. So technically and legally, we are already allowed to launch our app within the whole European Union. It's just from a marketing budget point of view, we need to go a more step-by-step approach. Uh, when it comes to scaling, um, scaling financial services, to the US, that, that's another challenge because there's totally different uh, banking systems and everything, different regulations. Um, it's on our agenda, but there's still a lot of thing, other things that we need to solve first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There you go. You roadmap that out for 2024 or something on that front. But, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, lots lots of great value uh, to be added, especially as you kind of sprinkle your way across the, the, the European continent and integrate into some more countries once you kind of uh, expand those resources and get the, the marketing kind of down for these other countries. I think it'll be a great step on that front too. And, and Martin, how can people support? How can people help out? in that as well. So obviously, uh, download the app if you're in Germany and Austria and give it a try and a go and, and kind of see how that goes. But, you know, what other ways can people support, whether it be a uh, social media or following or newsletters, anything of that nature? Yeah, I mean, we are quite active on social media. I mean, on LinkedIn, I personally really try to spread the word more about this topic of save now, buy later as a responsible alternative to buy now, pay later. So that's why I'm really happy when people kind of yeah, liking or, 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 or spreading things that we write about this topic of safe now, buy later. And yeah, we are active on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. So, uh, but on those channels, it's more in German language as the users that we really want to reach there is still in the German speaking countries. But yeah, I think as, as businesses or whatever, uh, LinkedIn would be a cool channel, uh, channel to yeah, spread a little bit the word about safe now, buy later. There it is. Find him on LinkedIn, follow him, 
and then share and spread some of that content so we can get much more of that uh, kind of save now, buy later instead of the buy now, pay later models that we're ever so seeing that may not be the most financially responsible uh, for many people on that front. Uh, Martin, is there anything else you'd like to add uh, that we maybe didn't touch on or didn't talk about throughout this episode? No, I think, uh, I, I mean, I really hope that there is now more players like us really developing on those alternatives to buy now, pay later, because we really think that's, that's a huge issue for society at the moment, this this tendency to buy stuff <laughs> on debt. And um, yeah, and I think uh, competition in this case really makes sense to spread this word about save now, buy later, and uh, also show to retailers that it makes sense that there is this alternative to buy now, pay later. And it makes sense to help their community, which maybe are not at this moment able to afford their products to help them to being able to afford that. Got to have that corporate social responsibility like you were mentioning, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Oh, well, Martin, thank you so much for coming on the show and having this conversation with me. You know, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, finances and personal uh, financial responsibility is really important to me. And it's a it's a topic that I think needs a lot more awareness to be spread about because I think too many people don't quite understand their uh, finances as much as they probably should. And your model helps them do that and really kind of um, does far more than handhold across the way, but helps set things up and, and really empower them to see the benefits of it while still enjoying their life and being able to create those purchases that they want in a responsible manner. So props and, and shout out to you and Monkey. Look forward to monitoring your ex- success here as uh, you continue to go in the future. Cool. Thanks, Will. It was great talking to you. That is Martin Granig here. He is the co-founder of a Monkey, joining us on the Talking Solutions, a podcast in a mission to help you uh, save now, buy later to get all the great things that you want in the future and help you set up from a rainy day fund to sinking fund and all those good things as well. You can find more information on Monkey by going to their website, monkey.rocks. That's monkey, M-O-N-K-E-E dot rocks. It's a little different than the monkey. Just replace the Y with the E. Uh, at the end there. You can also follow him on LinkedIn, as he mentioned, and across social media. And we'll have all those links, of course, in our show notes. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Talking Solutions podcast. As always, if you appreciated this episode, would love a review, a little five-star review, sign up for the newsletter, and of course, subscribe to get the new and latest episodes. But until the next episode, I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode and check out all of our guests on our website at cheshtech.com. That's C-H-E-S-H-T-E-C-H.com to learn more as we continue our mission of supporting impact-driven founders. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talking Solutions Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talking Solutions. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate a review and a recommendation to a friend as we focus on highlighting these great founders and individuals providing solutions to societal problems and bringing optimism into the world.